Okay, so um, let me tell you what this workshop is and what it isn't. We're going to spend some time. This workshop is kind of designed for understanding blended family living a little bit. If you happen to be a couple or in a blended family, then maybe this will resonate with you and give you some personal information to help you think about your life and your family, either growing up or now or somebody else that you know and love and care for. Everybody else, put on that ministry hat and soak in and try to understand some of the inner workings going on inside a step family experience. In the next workshop, if you happen to just be a glutton and want more punishment, you can stay around in at 315. I'm going to do Step Family Ministry 101. So we'll turn the corner and then say, okay, so what does this look like in local church? How do you structure? How do you think about this? What are some of the barriers you got to overcome? So this workshop is kind of enrichment-oriented, but will be helpful to help you understand blended families. And then the next workshop will be specifically aimed at um, doing ministry with. So a little bit of, about me. Um, my whole life has been in marriage and family ministry. As a matter of fact, Sharon runs the Center for the Family here at Pepperdine. I just had lunch with Dennis Lowe and Emily. Uh, Dennis was the first director of the Center for the Family, and I was on staff at a church in Northern California when that center started. So I kind of love coming back here because I feel like I'm coming, coming back to those days when uh, we were just beginning to think family ministry in, on the West Coast and especially within Churches of Christ, and um, it was fun to just sort of be at the table. That's also a little bit of my journey of where I started doing step family ministry and thinking about it and trying to figure it out in local congregations. So it's a little bit of a homecoming for me whenever I get back out here. So it's a lot of fun. I now work for a ministry called Family Life that's based in Little Rock, Arkansas. It's a nonprofit ministry. Uh, we are a subsidiary of Campus Crusade for Christ, if you've ever heard of crew before. That's who I work for now. I've been there seven and a half years. Family Life is a 43-year-old ministry until we joined staff seven years ago. They had never done really anything with intentionality for step families. And we're, to this point, the only ministry in the entire world that has a specific initiative to blend in families. It's crazy because Sharon just shared some numbers with you. But that's the truth. Right? So this is a population people group that is tremendously underserved. And so anything we can do to raise your level of awareness of how you can be influential and helpful where, wherever the Lord has you planted is something I am invested in. I don't live in a blended family. I didn't grow up in one. My wife and I have been married for 33 years. I have three siblings that are all in first marriages parents were married almost 62 years, just shy of that when my mom passed away about four years ago. My dad just turned 86. This is not my life. Um, technically, I'm a step-uncle-in-law. My wife's sister is a stepmom to two girls that she hardly ever sees, and I've only met twice in my life. So it's really not my life. This doesn't, that doesn't mean it can't be our ministry. Because we do a lot of things in ministry that are not our lives, right? right? And that's how I found myself stumbling into this area of, of ministry. I was just doing marriage and family stuff. And lo and behold, there were some step couples out there that needed a little support. So I found myself first as a therapist trying to work with that and then beginning to translate and say, how do we do ministry? One of the things we did at Family Life when we started, when I started working there, was we had to try to tell people what we were, who we were, what we were about. And we also wanted to try to begin to help 
blended family couples understand their own lives a little bit better. So we created this short little three-minute movie to try to tell the story of a typical step-family experience. Uh, let me pull back on that. Not quite typical, but just a step-family experience to help try to put words on it for people. Part of the challenge for blended family couples is they're not even sure what's going on with them. Like, what's happening to us? So the awareness uh, issue is, is pretty significant. It's definitely significant for church leaders who, uh, we all have great intentions, but if, if you're like me and you don't live it, then it's a little bit hard to get inside it. And so we created this little video. Now just, what I want you to do is just kind of sit in it and let it teach you something about the complexity of blended family living. Our story begins when this guy met this girl and fell madly in love. First came love, then came marriage, then came Emily, Michael, and John in a baby carriage. They were living the dream until doubt and isolation tore love apart. One love and one home became two. In another part of the world, a loving marriage welcomed two beautiful children. Life and love for this couple went along as they hoped, and they too were living the dream until mom became ill. Bad became worse, and worse ended the dream. Courageously, Dad strove to pick up the pieces and help his grieving children carry on. And together, they did. Until one day, when this lady met this fellow. Wait, where have I heard that before? Come on, Brady Bunch fans. One thing led to another, and a new dream for a new home was born. Yes, they knew there would be challenges merging homes, extended families, parenting strategies, finances, loss experiences, and holiday traditions, but they were confident that love would see them through. With hearts full of hope, they married. In the meantime, this guy, remember him? Announced that he and his girlfriend were getting married. They too had a dream for a new home. Okay, let's recap, shall we? What started out as two simple homes with four parents and five kids became three homes with three parents and five kids. And then became two homes with two parents, two step-parents, five children, five stepchildren, and the living memory of a deceased mother. And... Five sets of grandparents, dozens of cousins, uncles, and aunts, collecting family traditions, kids with divided loyalties, a home with five children on some days and only two the next, two bedtimes, differing parenting styles, conflict between homes, debt from the past, questions about whether this marriage will last, and four adults who quickly realize that their simple dream to recreate their dream home has instead created a multi-household family that is not simple at all, but complex. <sighs> Love and hope has brought these families together, but how do they manage the complexity? And how do they make the dream reality. To find help, this home went to their local church. To their surprise, they found a ministry to blended families just like theirs. They weren't alone. With the help of Family Life Blended and their local church, this home found answers to the questions stepfamilies ask. For most, becoming a healthy stepfamily has its challenges. Becoming stepfamily smart is the first step toward helping this home and others like it live the dream. Live your dream. Family life blended, strengthening stepfamilies.
audience participation time. Anybody care to share what you're thinking or feeling right now as a result of watching that? They brought a lot of luggage. Do what? I said they brought a lot of luggage. A lot of luggage. Just the complexity of all the family dynamics and pieces. Yeah, a lot of moving parts. Feel a little overwhelmed? Yeah, that's kind of a, a good word maybe is overwhelmed. Yeah, and that's often the experience that couples in blended families have. Usually hits around six months, a year, sometimes sooner than that. Sometimes they begin to have a perception of it before the wedding, but it really isn't real until it's real. That's kind of like all of life. And so then it hits. And then they come and they sit down with you or they ask questions and they start wondering what's going on with us. Like help us make sense of this. Knowing all the pieces and all the moving parts is part of the solution. Um, I've, I've written seven books, and six of them start have the word smart in the title. Okay, the smart step family. Why? Because the, more, the better you understand the complexity and what is happening and what you can do about it, the easier it gets to manage. It doesn't mean you get to overcome it. It doesn't mean that you get to control it. It just means that you understand it, and you're working together as a team, husband and wife, to try to face and deal with whatever that complexity is. See, here's the math equation I want you to keep in mind. By the way, I need to pause and say, we have a handout. I think it's coming. There's some out there, and it's supposed to be in the app. You want to give an update? App. It's in the app. So, there you go. More paper copies are coming. Kelly, you want to say how it's in the app? Uh, you would search for Ron name, Ron Deal, and then you would click on the session, and there would be a little, uh, you'll see it says PDF. Get that? So, yeah, and there's a, a few copies sitting around. So here's the equation. Complexity brings stress. What's complexity? Well, in the little video, you saw between homes dynamics. You saw parent-step-parent dynamics. You saw we have two kids on one day, and we have five kids on another day because the three come, and they're here with us for that weekend, and then they go back. So then we have merging traditions and holidays and rituals and ways of doing life and understandings and rules, family rules and consequences and different parenting styles. And so the kids have grandparents, they have step-grandparents. Uh, you have a mother-in-law and a father-in-law. You have a former mother-in-law and father-in-law if you're divorced. If you're widowed, those people are still in your life, right? And those ongoing relationships, they still want to see the kids and be there at birthdays and holidays. And so you may have five, six, seven sets of grandparents who want to split time at Christmas. So you, you begin to think about schedule and the emotional connections, and we'll spend a lot of time here talking about the emotional connections. And so all of that is all happening at once. And that complexity brings stress when you're not sure what to do with it. And in a blended family situation, what stress does is it thickens blood. And let me just explain what I mean by that. Here's husband, here's wife. It's kind of hard to do with the microphone. They fall in love, right? That's the reason this whole family comes together in the first place is because these two people find each other and they decide they want to be one before God and the world. And so they walk down an aisle and they declare till death do us part. And when they do that, they have settled the issue of who they are as a couple. I mean, at least they have it worded in, in intentionality. We're married. Period. End of story. But what is yet to be determined is how now everybody with them, their children, their former spouses, former mother-in-law, their debt, their emotional baggage, their, their ideas about how relationships should go, their parenting styles, 
how all of that stuff on both sides, sometimes they both have kids, they both have a history, something. They're bringing something with them into this merger. And so the couple has merged, if you will, so to speak, and everybody else is now trying to figure out how to be a family. And at least that's what the couple wants. Here's one of the biggest issues that hits on the day of the wedding. What couple wants for the kids and their intentionality for the family merger is sometimes shared by the children. Sometimes it is not shared by the children. What, one of the things I'm dealing with more and more is later life blended families, multi-generations. So somebody lived and was married for 25 or 30 years, and then they were widowed, and they married somebody who was married for 20 years and widowed. And so they, in their older years, empty nest, now have adult children who are now adult stepchildren to somebody, and then you have grandchildren and step-grandchildren that are formed out of this merger later in life, okay? And instantly what happens is, I run into people, the middle generation I'm gonna call it, the adult children, or the middle generation where I have conversations with them for 20 or 30 minutes about blended families, and they'll go, oh, oh my gosh, I'm in a blended family. <laughs> and I'll go, tell me, something disconnected there, but help me understand. Well, my mom died like 10 years ago. My dad got married, and I've just always called her dad's wife. But she's my stepmom. I've never thought of her that way. Pause. Now, if we go and ask dad, who is this woman to your children? He might say she's their stepmother. Because in his mind and in his heart, there's an intentionality that the family will come together. That, that she is now not only their stepmother, she's the step-grandmother of my grandkids, and she's a full-fledged member of this family. But to his adult children, they never had the thought that she's a part of the family. She's dad's wife. That just goes to show you how far removed the marrying couple can be from where the children are in how they define the relationships. That's true if they're middle generation, 35 years of age, with a PhD degree. That's true if they're 15, absolutely. That's true if they're 10 or they're five or they're two. The definition of what is family and who is family to me is something my mom and my stepdad want me to embrace in, in my stepdad. But I kind of see him as family, but more like distant family, like you're not my dad. So I'm still trying to figure out where you are in my heart and my life. That all adds to this level of complexity. And when the stress hits, this merger process isn't going as smoothly, as easily as we anticipated. Stress makes, it's an interesting thing, it makes parents do this. They tend to retreat back to the people that they know and love so well, i.e. their children. And that holds on their marriage. So while the marriage is the first thing that's facilitating this process of a merger, it's also the thing that carries the stress and the strain of the merger. And ultimately, a lot of couples just give up because they don't know what to do. They don't see the end. They're not sure where, how they're going to get there. And it just feels like I'm doing my children more harm. And that guilt thing kicks in for the parent. And all of a sudden, they're pulling away from their marriage rather than moving in towards their marriage. The merger is what they want, but the stress makes them retreat into things that feel safer. And that's where people get caught. So if we help them understand the complexity, make sense of the complexity, have answers and some, some solutions, not every solution, but some solutions, then the stress lowers, then it makes it easier for the merging process to continue. 
Make sense? So, one of the things I spend time trying to help people understand is how do you cook a step family? Like, this whole thing of merging is really, we could just use a cooking metaphor and say, let's talk about that for a minute because you do have a bunch of ingredients here in your home and you are trying to bring them together and make some sort of a casserole that tastes good. Let's figure out how to cook a step family. Now, there's some good ways to do it and there's some poor ways to do it. And the reason I like to use this metaphor is because people really connect into it. They really can see it, they can feel it, and taste it, no pun intended. They can get a sense of it. And it begins to give them this vision of how they move forward as a family, what they can do, what they should not do. Here's one of the do nots. Don't use a blender to blend your blended family, right? Why? Because blenders have blades. <laughs> Somebody's going to get cut up and hurt. How does a blender work? Let's say you're going to make a smoothie. You throw in a few things. You turn it on. Friction and high heat and blades take over, and all of a sudden, everything loses its identity and just becomes one fluid mixture. Now, that's a wonderful romantic notion of what a blended family could be. Oftentimes, that's what the couple really is dreaming of. I mean, pause for a second. Let's, let's go back. There's a narrative behind this part of the story. Um, keep in mind, when a couple forms a blended family and gets married, it's the middle of the story. It's not the beginning of their family story. It's the middle. There's already been a few chapters written. Somebody died. Somebody got deserted. We had a child together and somebody walked out. Somebody got divorced. There's something there that led up to the middle part of the story. And the something, the past, is always just kind of in the background. Just a little haunting, reminding, things can go bad, just kind of ever-present there. And that whole notion of um, how, how, what happens to my identity as, as a kid, as an adult, within this family merger idea, if you're trying to destroy my identity and make us one fluid mixture, then what does that do to my relationship with my family? What does that do to my relationship with my past? Um, let me tell you about a book that's coming. Uh, Lauren Reitzma is releasing a book this coming October um, called In Their Shoes. Last Saturday, my, our ministry put on an event, a live stream event called Blended and Blessed. Anybody happen to catch it? Okay. So we were in, live, we were in Minneapolis, Minnesota, live, live streaming to about 300 locations around the world. And it's all recorded and it's free. All right? So if you want this, I'll tell you in a little bit how you can get a hold of this. But we had speakers, and it's a whole day of ministry aimed at enriching blended family couples. I got to interview Lauren and her mother, her mom, on stage about Lauren's new book, writing about her experience and her parents' divorce and then growing up with two blended family homes, each dad and mom, uh, each remarried, and her different experiences about that. The book is amazing. It helps you go inside the experience of a child and what it's like to live through that. It's really, really well done. Um, she says, Lauren says, that after a parental divorce, as long as the parents remain single, kids can kind of hold on to the, the fragments of their original family. They get to hold on to those memories. They get to hold on to what that meant and what it represented and some of the rituals carried forward into the single parent years. But when each of the biological parents then marries somebody else, she says those fragments get even more scattered. Things happen like, the photo albums and the videos that you used to sit around and watch of kind of the glory days, all of a sudden are not sitting on the 
table anymore where people can see them. Like those have been removed because that's the family that used to be, but we have a new family now. And so it's just interesting how those things disappear. And so to remember and reflect and cherish the family you had, the family the child often still wants, would love to see um, put back together again. There's just now a whole nother layer of a barrier to that taking place. Dad's married to somebody else. He's not getting married again to mom, right? And so those pieces begin to fragment even more and more. That's what blenders do. They just chop up who you are and everything about you and your family and your identity and what that means and what was special and belongs to you. And it throws it together with other ingredients and it commands you to love them like family. That's why, even though well-intentioned, a stepmom who says to her stepchildren, hey, man, I just love you. You guys are the greatest thing in the world. You know, I, I know we're figuring one another out. Why don't you call me mom? Seems so innocent on the surface. Her heart is in the right place. What is she trying to do? She's trying to merge. She's trying, she wants them to feel safe with her. She wants that commitment to be there. She's trying to articulate her commitment to them. Clearly, she is really trying to bring the relationship together. But when she says that in her innocence, what she, the child hears is, you just cut up my mom, chopped her up, completely said to me, I'm replacing her. Get her out of your life and put me in that spot. Ain't gonna happen. Ain't gonna happen. In fact, if anything, that child just got a little bit harder in their external and just went, whoa, 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 whoa. Like, I'm backing up from you. Like, I don't feel safe anymore. I can't trust you. Like, you're trying to get rid of my mom? Like, that's never going to... Now I'm against you. And what just happened? Stress, thick and blood. We're pulling away rather than merging and moving toward. The reason she said, why don't you call me mom? Good intentions. Trying to blend, trying to merge. But it backfires because it cuts somebody's soul just a little bit. So no, don't use a blender. By the way, I spend some time in some of our resources talking through other ways people try to cook that are not helpful, and you can have fun with all sorts of cooking metaphors, microwaves, and you know, instapots. You know, wouldn't it be great if you could just cook it that fast, right? But no, it doesn't work that way. It works. How do you cook a set family with a crock pot? It is slow. It is methodical. It is serious. You work at it slowly and surely, and eventually you get there. But in the meantime, you have some challenges until it tastes good. The average blended family, this is Patricia Papernow's work, uh, studied uh, integration of, of step families more than anybody. She says it takes the average five to seven years for the average step family to kind of find their fit and their identity. It doesn't mean they don't have any rewards or any good things in relationships. It doesn't mean that at all. That can happen with some people relatively quickly. But the whole sense of experience, like, okay, you're family, and we, we now know who we are. We have a sense of identity. We begin to share that. She says on average, five to seven years. Some families take nine plus years. Some families can do it in three or four years. Those are families typically where the children are under the age of five. Um, and uh, it, it, it actually helps a little bit if a biological parent is deceased. There's a, more of a permanence to that. I'm not fantasizing about mom and dad getting back together again because dad is, is deceased. So some of those things kind of are factors you don't get to control, but they can make the, the merging process a little easier, a little, 
little more quick. But in general, it takes years, not months, not days, certainly not hours. So a lot of couples hear that and they go, oh my gosh, I, we, just, we just sent our kids on a whole other journey. Yeah. And it's okay. It doesn't mean you did anything wrong. It just means it goes more slowly than you thought. And you gotta be intentional with your crockpot. You gotta have some heat. You gotta have some heat. But it's not gonna be a high heat, it's not gonna be friction, and you're not going to demand relationship between all the ingredients. Here's what happens in crockpots. A little bit of heat, magnified over time, does what? Two ingredients. It warms them up, then they soften, and then they merge. Warm up, soften, merge. What am I warming? I'm warming up to you. I'm learning to like you. I'm learning to trust you. I'm figuring out. We, we just, our focus last weekend, I'm going to refer back to that because it's on my brain, uh, was the fruit of the spirit. We, we, we flushed out in a day how you can apply the fruit of the spirit to blended families. And at the end of the day, I said, now here's my tip for step parents. Start at the end of the fruit and work backwards. We all want to start with love. That's what you want. That's why you got married. That's the dream. But you really got to start with self-control. Because you can burn your bridges really fast if you do something dumb. And then you got to add a whole lot of faithfulness and gentleness. Because that's how you become safe to somebody who doesn't know who you are or what you're about. And once they find you safe and they now trust you, then you can begin to move further towards love. But love's the last thing to develop, not the first thing to develop. Now, I know we just crucified the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5, but you understand what we're doing. We're just trying to make some application with that and talk about this process. So it takes a while. You've got to have a little bit of heat. You warm it up. You gain trust. You earn trust. You build relationships slowly over time. And eventually, ingredients combine. And you don't even have to force. Like in a real crock pot, you don't have to stir things. You don't have to get out the blender. and You don't have to work at it. It just kind of happens. The more you let it happen with intentionality and the more you create a, an environment where the merging happens, the easier the process gets. So being a step-parent that is trustworthy, that is reliable, that is safe to be around, that does respect the child's relationships with the ingredients in their other pot, because most of them have another pot, and they're trying to figure out life with those people too, the more you respect those relationships and act in a respectful way towards that other pot, it communicates to the children that you're safe to be around. And all of that helps me trust you. And when that happens, my shoulders drop a little bit. Instead of me being all tense, my shoulders drop because I feel like I can trust you. And now I'll let you in my heart and I'll move towards you. When, we, when couples get that and they downshift their blundering stuff, and, and turn on their crock potting stuff, it really makes a big difference. I had a stepdad one time say, okay, I get it. Uh, this really helped me. He said, I kept trying to you know, make kids get along. He, and here's what happened. He married a woman who had custody of her kids 24-7, but his kids came every other weekend. And there was a little inconsistency with that because they were teenagers and they had lives of their own, interests of their own, and so they weren't getting to see them a whole lot. So the bottom line is, he's spending far more time with his stepchildren than he is about his biological children, which made him feel a little guilty. And then when his kids did get there, he wanted to make the best of it because he had two and a half days to you know, somehow make this merger happen. So you can, you can feel the intensity in his desire 
to make things blend, right? So what would happen is his kids would come over, and because they didn't really feel connected in the early days, they would literally give dad a big old hug, and then go over and shake stepmom's hand. Like, how informal, how formal is that? And then they would go over and kind of say hi to their step-siblings, and then they would just kind of retreat into their bedrooms and just stay there, because that's really where they felt. Well, then dad would do what? He would say, we're going to blend whether you want to or not. By doing things like, come on, kids, come out. We're having fun tonight. We're going to play board games. You hear the blundering? Okay. I need you to love this so I don't feel guilty anymore. So you're going to do this. I'm demanding love and affection. That's blundering 101. And what, what would his kids do? How do you like it when somebody demands that you love somebody you don't know? Do you enjoy that in your life? Well, they didn't enjoy that either. Right? So they get resistant. Now they don't want to come out and have fun. Now they're in a bad mood. Now he's frustrated with them. Are they having a good experience? No, it's getting tense. You see that creates stress. It's working in the wrong direction. So he said, all right, so I figured out the crockpot thing, and I needed to let my kids simmer was his word. I need to let them simmer. And I'm like, yes, right. What does that look like? He goes, we decided to be intentional to do things that they would come out with. We knew they would come out for food. We knew we could get them around the dinner table. And then we would find something, an activity that we could do as a family. Not everybody had to be there. Not everybody had to participate to the same level. We relaxed our standards on that, but we gave them an opportunity. And then once that was over, we just kind of said, you do what you want. And he said for a long time, they'd retreated back into the bedroom. And I didn't feel comfortable with that, but I just had to learn how to breathe through it and be okay. And then he said, eventually they begin to come out more. They begin to come out more. Like, so we were intentional, low heat, to create opportunities, but then we didn't demand love and affection. That happened on each ingredient's time. Right. Another lesson I would pass along is what a chef told me one time, you can't fool food. What does that mean? <laughs> what it means is you can't make something cook faster than it will cook. Things just cook on their own time. You have different ingredients. You have teenagers. You have young adults who are in college. You have adult children who are 35 and have their own family and marriage and, and a mortgage. You have kids who are 10 and flaming extroverts who love new people. And you have kids that are 13 and are introvert and going through puberty and don't want to talk to anybody. Every ingredient has its own time. And that's part of the challenge and complexity is finding ways to connect and build with what you have gain a little momentum, and trust that over time that will magnify into something that really feels good to the people in the family. That's what we mean by cooking with a crock pot. Okay, so let me jump into this idea. Let's talk a little bit about marriage for for a minute because remember I said at the beginning that the marriage is what starts all this process. When everybody else tries to merge, if there's stress and strain that pulls them in opposite directions, the marriage is going to carry the weight of that and ultimately has to endure it to lead the family through those different challenges. But it's, it's difficult for couples. Watch this little video and notice the pressure that starts building within this couple's relationship. And I'll just give you the punchline. This starts out as a parenting dilemma that becomes a marriage dilemma. That's true in biological families. That can happen in any marriage relationship. A parenting thing can turn into a marriage thing. In blended families, it happens in a nanosecond. 
because they are trying to navigate all of this terrain at the same time. They're trying to establish, you know, once they get married, they're trying to establish their marriage, romance, their, their intimate relationship, sexual relationship, their finances. They're trying to do all the marital stuff, and they're thrown into the parenting, uh, you know, deep end of the, of the pool all at the same time. So all this stuff kind of converges. So watch how quickly the parenting issue becomes a marriage one. Really men at work, just like a lot of couples do, and um, I realized that you know, going into the marriage, I, you know, for me, it was just, hey, this is great. She's got some kids, and I can handle that. Well, when we first got married, my children were teenagers, um, ranging from 14 years old to 18, 19 years old. And uh, as far as having my children accept him, it was it was kind of difficult for him to take on that role. Uh, I remember the first day walking in like a sergeant. And I remember the kids watching TV like eight hours a day, you know, like, this is it. I turned the TV off, said no more TV during the day. Talk about, you know, a backfire. You know, it just, it literally, um, because they weren't used to discipline in a household like that. And I was more of a easygoing type mom and um, kind of gave in to, to my kids more than I should have. I'll tell you that the, our marriage was challenged. I mean, there were times that it was bumpy. I didn't think we were going to make it. I, I felt... Handicap. I felt like I was. My hands were tied. I said to my wife a long time ago, the reason why we're gonna get divorced will be because of the kids and because you're taking their side. Because I was a single parent, I guess I was, you know, emotionally very tied to my children. I wasn't able to put my husband first. I felt like, hey, here I am. These aren't my kids, and I'm coming into this relationship trying to make a difference, trying to make a positive impact. And I just felt like that wasn't being appreciated. You know, not having the kids would have probably saved about 80% of the arguments. We got through it, but I will tell you, it was not easy. It was a challenge. And uh, it was a challenge every single day. Okay, so let me show you what we just saw, if I can put it into different terms. Here's what's going on. In a first marriage, you have an individual who marries another individual, and they become a couple. And then they have kids, and they become parents. Now let's just pause for a minute and process that structure. That's God's um, prescription for the home. Individuals, leave father and mother, become a couple, commit to one another, covenant to one another, and merge their family, and then children come out of that process. What's helpful about that from a leadership standpoint is that parenting follows marriage, Number one. In other words, you can say to your kids, look, we're going to be here when you're gone. So <laughs> your mom and I treat each other like best friends because this is our life, right? You're, you're going to grow up and go away. And everybody knows that. The kids expect that. They understand that that's the process. And the kids, by the way, in this structure are just as invested in mom and dad's success as a couple as mom and dad are in, in their own success as a couple. The kids want mom and dad together. There's no competition at all when it comes to those relationships. And everything in this structure flows and helps everything else. So when dad's been signed with one of his kids, that warms mom's heart. And by the way, there's a mom part of her heart, and right next to it is the wife part of her heart. So it warms up the wife stuff too, right? And when mom fully invests in one of their kids, dad's feeling really good about all that as well. They know they're taking care of their children and one another. And when they go on a date, say, no kids, you can't come. And the kids get all upset about that. They understand and realize that that's still a good thing for mom and dad to be in love. And our life is good. 
because mom and dad are loved. A lot of things flow well out of that structure. People who do research and study uh, the progress of, you know, so many people today are cohabiting or having a child uh, before marriage and then cohabiting and then getting married. It's, it turns out the structure is it matters in terms of the economics of this family situation, the parenting process and flow. There's a lot of things that are tied into that. It seems to work, all right? Well, what happens then after death or divorce or a dissolved relationship is that we've removed coupleness from the process. And coupleness was the foundation. So what now is the new foundation? This is talk back time. What now is the new foundation? You have two, sing after a divorce, you have two single parent homes. How does that family restructure? What do you think typically happens? There's not a one black and white answer. Parent child. Parent child. Yeah, pretty much, right? I mean, sometimes you have this really strong parent who maintains their posture far above the children, like they did before the divorce. But oftentimes there's a little bit of a dip just in terms of who they are and, and, and it's hard because it's all on them. Like that's 24 seven. They have to do everything, make every decision. They can't say tag to anybody. It is all on them. So oftentimes they tag one of the kids who just kind of carries a little more of the weight and cooks dinner for their siblings a couple times a, a week and just some of that. Now some of that is real functional and it's not necessarily a burden on kids. At its extreme, it is a burden on a child. Uh, some kids just grow up to be really high-functioning adults because they took care of their younger siblings quite a few years in their childhood. So it's not necessarily bad, but what I want you to notice is the foundation has shifted. It's no longer the marriage that does that. So what happens then in our next little process, let me get this thing to kick in here. By the way, a lot of people get creative in their single-parent years. <laughs> I don't recommend this, by the way. Um, what's really funny about this is uh, this person is looking for somebody to fill that position. But I want, what, I, what I want you to see is the unrealistic expectation in that. Let's just say it's a mom driving down the road and she, yeah, it is a mom, right? Because the empty spot is the dad. And what she's saying is, this is an open position. Come be the husband, dad in my family. This is a big setup for everyone. Because he won't be the dad. He will be a stepdad. It is not the same. He won't be accepted like a dad. He won't be treated like a dad. He won't be honored like a dad. He will not hold that special place in a child's heart. He can be an amazing mentor, father figure, lover of the kids, great guy, godly character, personality, a huge influence in their life. He will not be dad. So if she hired, I mean, if she marries him to be in that capacity, and expects him to fulfill that. That was on purpose, by the way, for those of you that caught it. Um, it, won't, it won't happen. And it'd just be a setup disappointment for her and him and perhaps the kids. So what happens then when she marries and they form a blended family? Well, we've got individual and we've got single mom and kids. That's been happening. We survived the hard times. We got through the divorce together. And now we're adding. Now, in a very simplistic way, this really shows you how profoundly different a blended family is from the get-go. The marriage is trying to catch up. The marriage is not the foundation of the home. Parenting doesn't flow out of marriage. Parenting impacts marriage. Marriage impacts parenting, but it doesn't flow out of the foundation that is marriage. So really, the kids can say to the step-parent, look, we were here first. 
You don't belong. This introduces the idea of what we call insiders and outsiders. There's insiders who are biologically connected. They have history and photo albums and last names, and they share all these, the heartache and the difficult years and, and surviving together. That's all their story. And then there's somebody outside that story who's trying to break into that story. And it's really easy for us to say, you don't belong here. And so the step-parent is automatically at a disadvantage in terms of their parental authority and the structure of the home and who they are and how do I find my place. And so what really helps blended families is if they go through the process of putting coupleness back where it was meant to be so that they can lead the children. Now, I'm always quick to add right here before I define what I'm saying in all this is this not, does not come at the expense excuse me, of children. What I mean by that is you don't neglect your kids. You don't abandon your kids. You don't say, look, my husband, you know, single mom now married, my husband is the only thing in my world and you guys are nothing. No, 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 no. Nobody's saying that. You're going to spend a lot of time and energy investing in those children. But what we're saying is at the end of the day, you better make sure this marriage thing is working and that you guys are honing in on one another and oneness so that you can lead from a position of unity as it relates to the children in parenting. If they catch wind, I had a guy one time, I worked with him, um, and he said, yeah, four of my parents divorced, at five my mom got married, and he said, I love my stepdad, he's a great guy, I thought he was awesome, you know, just from the get-go I called him dad, we had a wonderful relationship, and I was like, oh, that's great, and then he, then he gave me whiplash, and he said, yeah, but I never respected him. What? You called him dad? You loved him? I'm sorry. Unpack that for me. You never respected him. He goes, yeah. My mom said in front of all of us and him pretty early on, she made it very clear that if he ever did anything wrong, she would take us and she would leave. What's the message? He lives right here. He's really not part of the foundation of his home. He's really not part of the core. It's you and me, kids. She didn't leave father and mother or her children and cleave to her husband. She didn't shift that allegiance, as we're called in Genesis, to do in her marriage. Therefore, the kids picked up on it and they knew they didn't have to respect him as any sort of authority in their life. That's how they worked. So what we're saying here is biological parents are the ones who have the power to position the step-parent into a place in the home where they get to be part of the parenting team. And at the same time, they're trying to do that. That step-parent's trying to build a relationship with the stepchildren so that they see them as somebody they can love and trust and appreciate and value and want into their life. And that's a complicated process. But that's fundamentally what will help them be able to write it out and stay the course. I had a guy one time say to me, but Ron, that's not my life. I'm not living this. I'm living this. And I said, what do you mean? He goes, well... My wife, when she was a single mom, she's a great mom. She never lowered the standard of nothing. He said her kids respect her. She's got three children. He said, I had never been married before, and I didn't have any kids of my own. So when I married my wife, I just kind of got on board with their routine because she was such a large and in charge, wonderful mother. He said, for example, she had this elaborate system of determining who gets to ride in the front seat with mom when they would get into the car. And it depended on where they were going, how long it would take to get there, who's, who would be back in the car a second time before the next kid was back in a second time. He said, it was an algorithm I didn't understand, 
And I was smart enough to know I didn't want to mess with that, so I just got in the back seat and we went on with life. And then he said, we've been married for two and a half years and I still ride in the back seat of the car. I don't like that. Would you? I mean, if that's not a metaphor, I don't know what is. Right? He is clearly the add-on person in the home. Somebody else is in the front seat. And doggone it, I'm paying for everything. Why aren't I in the front seat? You know, you can see that sense of disrespect coming out, and he was feeling that. That's the question we need to help couples see. This is really important that you figure out, Mom, in this scenario, how to move him into the front seat of your heart, of your family, how you position. So what does that look like? Mom made all the decisions for 10 years before she got married to this guy, and now she says, you know what, I'll get back to you kids. And she goes and she takes two minutes, and she just has a conversation with her husband. She's bringing him into the front seat, and then she comes back and she says, yes, you can go. The answer was yes all along. But that little action of pulling him into the system, of elevating his status in the eyes of the children. Mom, you never had to do that before. You never had to ask anybody why you had to go ask him. And what if he says no this time? Like it was always yes before, and you're going to let him change the rules on us like that? That's what kids say, right? They push back because I want to sit in the front. Right? They like sitting in the front. And that's where that mother has to find that little courage in that moment, look her kid in the eye and go, wow, you are really smart. You figured all this out not all by yourself. You're an amazing job. <laughs> I love you like crazy. But you know what? Things have changed. And I can't, you know, I, I, mean, I can fully understand why this is confusing to you. And we're figuring this out together. And you're right. Things have changed. And if I were you, I'd be sick and tired of change because it just seems to keep coming at us, doesn't it? So I get it. You don't understand why I need to talk. But he's my husband now, and he's going to be around a really long time, and he matters, and so I want to get his opinion on this. Now get in the back. See, that little moment of move into your child's heart and with a great deal of compassion and empathy, hear them out, hear the sadness, hear the loss in this another moment where they didn't get to control the outcome, which is the narrative of children who have been through death, divorce, single parent years, loss of income, now somebody's dating again, now somebody gets married, now I have to share my bedroom with a stepbrother that I don't even know. Now I change after change after change after change after change, and here's one more. You're telling me one more time something's going to change. I don't like it. We should not be surprised that kids don't like it. We should move in towards compa with compassion, but here's the thing that's that, that biological parents need not to do. Get paralyzed by their sympathy, guilt. My kid's hurting again, and I brought it on because I got married to this guy. So you're so so that paralyzes some parents, and now they just let their kids sit in the front seat all the time. If you can help that mom or that dad, whatever the biological parent in that moment, kind of gently lean into their child, reassure their child, and then say, "Now get in the back." They're still in charge. That's a really strong moment. And that kid probably will be mad sitting in the back all the way to, you know, rear view mirror, dirty eye, you know, curse mom under their breath sort of a moment, and it'll be okay. Because mom's going to love them a little bit, give them a little extra TLC at the end of the day. But that kid needs to learn they now sit in the back seat. Without that, how do we lead? As a family unit, how does the couple 
position themselves to be a team, to lead, to win, to, they can't. Okay, so let me just pause for a minute. There's a whole lot wrapped up in what I just said. Unpack, what are you thinking? What are your thoughts, questions? Not everybody at once, please. Conversation with with parents, how much pushback do you get from them to say, no, no, my, my kids are my priority, not, not my, my new spouse? Sometimes that, that does happen, and it's understandable. Sure. And uh, what I'll say to them is, because I part of what they're feeling is responsibility, and you say, yes, I'm so glad you're committed to your kid, right? Absolutely. I still want you to be the mom, still want you to be involved in their lives, still want you to love, still want you to do all the things that you're doing. And uh, this is not, by the way, mom, here's the rephrase. This is not an either or, either your husband or your kids. This is a both and. It's both your husband and your kids. We're just repositioning how they work together and where they fit in, in terms of your heart so that you and your husband have a fighting chance to lead this family together. Uh, let's talk about your concerns for your kids. And then when you unpack the concern, the concern is, my kids will be hurt again. My kids will feel abandoned. Their biological dad left them and he's never come back. I don't want to be like that. I don't want them to feel like they don't, they're not valued or loved. There's probably a really good narrative there. And, and it's worthy of spending time with what the fear concern is. So that you can say, great, let's minister to that need in your child that they not feel abandoned. I want you to move toward them in these moments so that you can then lead them in such a way that they get in the back seat. I hear the paradox in that, because I think what many people tend to do is they tend to say, I don't care about what you think, kid, just get in the back and shut up. It can't be that, because this kid has been through all kinds of hurt. They got pain rippling out their ears. It has to be compassionate moving forward to reassure, to, um, to remind, to reconnect, whatever, whatever that, whatever you want to call that, whatever word you want to use there minister to the child's heart and couple that with a boundary setting a but you gotta ride the back seat now I'm sorry this is the way we gotta do it he's gonna ride the front seat I'm thinking about letting him drive but one thing at a time <laughs> yeah question I've worked with like a, a mom and a kid where uh, you know they got the she got divorced from the husband and he got remarried and uh, now it was the mom and the two kids and and I was doing counseling with the, the daughter and she would talk about how you know, the mom was basically basically turned into her best friend. Mm -hmm. and so the relationship went from the couple to... So that would be this, right? Yeah. yeah. And that was the best friend. I was kind of curious to see how, how your approach would be with uh, the mom, well, I guess, and the daughter in that, in that kind of situation. Yeah, well, I would, I would help them grieve. <laughs> Because that's what's going to happen. It's like it's, it's going to be sad that they can't be buddies like they were. Um, and, and, you know, I would just sit with both of them and wonder out loud a little bit, well, maybe individually with mom first and then maybe together. Kind of wonder out loud, so what, what is that like when uh, you're now sitting on the couch with your husband watching TV and your daughter comes in and goes, well, that's his spot. That's where I belong. Like, what do you, what do you feel in that moment? How, Unpack that for me. What happens inside you? Well, I get all feeling guilty, and I just really want her to come because I want her to not hurt anymore. 
And you say, oh, I get that. I love that. We're going to find a place for her, and I want you to reassure her with some of those things. But here's the deal. It is a change, and she is going to feel a little sadness. And I would rather you grieve that with her and help her through the sadness rather than cater to the sadness. If you cater to the sadness, the sadness will persist, and she'll never get through it. So it's love her in the sadness. Give her a voice. Understand. Be compassionate. And then say, but you got to sit here. He's sitting there, right? And just, you make overt. There's a loss coming. There's a loss in this transition. The, the, the beautiful thing about this is when you get the biological parent moving toward their kids in the midst of this change, it's the reassurance that they're longing for and needing. And it tends to then be, a, you know, a, a minor hiccup, generally speaking, as compared to some horrible awful thing. You just don't, you want the parents doing two things, moving toward their kids in compassion and empathy, and still being the parent. It's when they do one without the other that things begin to unwind. Um, let, me, let me try to hit you with a couple of, well, I just want to show you some resources. I'm looking at the clock, five minutes. Um, I want to say something about parenting real quick. <laughs> So this is a, a model that we teach. Um, it's in the Smart Step Family book, and it's in our DVD series. And really what I want you to just get is a sense of typically what step parent, the journey of a step parent, okay? So at the very top of this, let me see if I can make something work here. There we go. Okay, so look up on the screen. And up here at the top is, so up and down the left is degree of authority to discipline. So that's a term from Susan Gamash that really means parental status. How much status do you have in the eyes of a child? Anybody in here who's a teacher of children, you know you have some status, but you're not the mom. You're not the dad. If you've ever been a coach or a camp counselor or, um, you know, any sort of authority figure, a youth pastor, a youth minister, you take kids on retreats and you're in charge for seven days and they don't question they do question your authority. But you get the point. You can lead them for seven days, but you're not their dad. How does this happen? Because kids understand status. Certain people have status in certain dimensions of my world and my life. My teacher at school can tell me to sit down and shut up, and I have to do it. She's not my mom. Right? That's status. So biological parents are up here. They have parental authority, always have, and always will. Why? Because you're the mom. You're the dad. It's Clearly defined role and relationship. Step parents on day one start out down here, like a babysitter, who's the stand-in parent for a few hours, like a teacher who has some authority but not momhood. <laughs> you know, you have a little bit but not a lot. We all know the difference if you had a coach on the soccer field yelling and screaming, cussing at your kids. We kind of let them do that when it's the coach on the soccer field. But if you walk off the soccer field and the, and the kid is in your living room at your house and the coach walks in unannounced and starts screaming and cussing at your kid, we all know that ain't happening. You're out of this house. You're not going to let that happen. Why? Because that's out of bounds. Kids have a sense of this. And when a step-parent comes in and says, uh, no, 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 I am your dad. No, 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 no. That, that's going to unwind everything. The worst advice you could give in your pre-step family preparation counseling, is saying to that future stepdad, all right, go in there and be the man. 
That'll unravel everything. Because the kids have a sense of justice that says, no, he ain't. That's chopping up my bio dad. You're trying to replace him. I'm sorry. I, I, I like you, but I don't love you the way you're demanding and that level of authority. And the mom is going to feel sorry for the kids. And then she's going to take their side. And then she's going to be against her husband. And everything's going to unravel. But when step parents come in and say, you know what, this is where it starts. And over time, I'm going to go up and down, and we're going to have to figure out this thing, and then eventually I'm going to become like their uncle or their aunt with some children. If we have enough time in the crock pot together, I'll get to be like uncle or aunt, where now I'm a bigger parent authority in their life. And with some step-parents and some step-children, they have enough time, you can get to a high level of status. But you're somewhere in that journey. And as long as step-parents start that well, embrace that well, and the biological parent does their job of being the parent. We can get the bases covered and buy time for the crock pot to do what it does. People warm up, then they soften, and then they emerge. That's what we're buying time for because it doesn't happen overnight. So that's a piece of the puzzle that really helps Every once in a while you come across somebody who goes, oops, we did it all wrong. I've got 30 seconds. We did it all wrong. I started out like trying to be like their dad, and I demanded and commanded, and now what do I do? Well, you apologize, and you start over, and you let your wife start over and be the mom, and you regroup, and you give it the best you can. You try to repair and heal at that point and move forward. And, and it's really a helpful model to at least let them see it visually to help you think about what it is you're trying to help them 